Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a returning guest, one of my favorite guests. His name is Ken and me. He's published many books, and we're going to do a follow-up to an earlier interview we did about Hollywood aliens and UFOs. That first book was Hollywood Aliens and UFOs first showing, but this is going to be the second showing. So he has some interesting uh, topics in this book, some that I'm familiar with, some is not, but Yodorowsky's Dune is predominant in this book, and that's a fascinating uh, documentary, but also an interesting person, Yodorowsky, I cover in my book, Children of the Beast, and kind of his connection to cruelly in the occult. But uh, Ken's going to talk more about that. So Ken, Ami, are you there? Yes, sir. Thanks for having me back. Awesome. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. Can you talk a little bit about your background and what led you to the second showing and the, the information in this new book? Well, this book series is, as the title implies, Hollywood Aliens and UFOs. So I'm reviewing movies with alien and UFO themes in them. And what happened is that I started writing one book about that. And then when I got to page 500, I kind of thought, okay, this is just getting to be a bit too much, much less when I got to page 600. <laughs> so I decided to just turn this into a book series. And I think it's more manageable now because each segment in the series is average about 150 pages. So it's very quick read. And I'm personally having a blast just watching uh, these movies and uh, from any era, any year, any kind of style, it's it's that doesn't matter to me as long as there's something interesting in the movie. And and I guess part of the reason why this attracted me is because from the age of um, maybe 11 years old in sixth grade, I used to go to the local library and look at books about aliens and UFOs. So that's kind of always been somewhat of an interest of mine. I did write an actual serious uh, research-based book about aliens and UFOs called Fifty Shades of Grey, Aliens. And so this series has been, uh, it's also research-based in that I do provide a lot of real-life information, but it's also movie reviews. So that's been really interesting. And, and I definitely find that there's themes that show up time and again and again and again and again, regardless of whether the movie is from the golden era of sci-fi or it's brand new. It's the same concepts that repeat themselves. And one of which I'll put this way, um, the technocratic unholy trinity is high tech, evolution and the occult. And I find those three themes show up whenever I'm looking into issues of transhumanism, which is AKA futurism or humanity plus known by any other name. And also in issues to do with aliens and UFOs. It's the same thing, high tech evolution and the occult. They're just, those three are just never too far apart from each other. And so I'm finding those themes along with uh, the concept of the what used to be called ancient astronaut theory. Now it's updated to ancient alien, but it's the same kind of thing because it touches upon evolution and then it touches upon the high tech and then it touches upon oh, occultism. It's just, it's inevitable just over and over again. Same themes, right? Oh, so Same things. Absolutely. And then you have like, so the inter, you talk about theology and the occult in these kind of UFO things involving uh, particularly Scientology. Can you talk about that? Well, Scientology, along actually with the Nation of Islam, okay, not Islam itself, but the Nation of Islam, right. 
or AKA the black Muslims. Those are two examples of UFO cults. I mean, that's really what they are. So uh, Scientology, as it became very well known, when you get to the operating Thetan level three, right, OT3, you find out that it's a great space opera about an intergalactic warlord named Xenu, who to deal with overpopulation, uh, basically packed up a bunch of aliens into crafts and flew them to Earth, dropped them in a volcano, and then threw bombs into the volcano to explode them. And this is said to have caused, of course, the death of the aliens. But what happens is that, that their spirits live on and roam the Earth, and those are called Thetans. Okay, And then these, those spirits, uh, once humanity finally came around, um, so there you have the evolution aspect. You already had the high-tech aspect, right, right, of the spacecraft and the aliens. And then uh, the occult aspect is that uh, then supposedly when humans finally came around, these spirits attached themselves to us, and then they're called body thetans, and those are what cause our psychological and emotional problems. And Scientology is basically claimed to be the therapeutic solution to those problems. So in essence, you're looking at a form of demonic possession right. <laughs> with uh, the Scientologies being the, the styled exorcists, right? Right. So you have to do all of the, the rundowns and uh, get the funny, uh, you know, Campbell soup cans and do all the training and pay a lot of money to get rid of them. That's the yeah. Problem, right? So, yeah. In fact, did you hear about the guy that did not pay his exorcist? No. What happened to him? Yeah. He got repossessed. Right. right. Well, that's actually, <laughs> apparently, there was a story about uh, a, a crash of a plane in D.C. It hit a bridge. It was very cold. But they say that the pilot had a psychotic break from his Scientology training. I've got to go back and look up this probably back in the 80s. But that he wow. and some of these people really freak out at the end once they realize they're supposedly possessed by these Thetans that are roaming around in the spirits but it's also interesting that you bring out the evolutionary aspect of scientology because i forgot about that but hubbard taught his followers that some of the pains they feel are from when they were back in a pre in an earlier evolutionary stage as a clam that got eaten by a fish like you literally taught people that that yeah, yeah. they have evolutionary pain that right. scientology is going to take care of so so, so that's uh, really interesting. Yeah, so one thing he talked about is how the hinge in the clam, right, the hinge between the two parts of the shell, uh, eventually evolved into the human jaw. That's what he claimed. And so that's why he, he ends up saying that if when you're speaking to somebody, you make um, a motion with your hands, like as if your hand was a little mouth, like a puppet, you know, Mm -hmm. He said sometimes the person you're talking to might even get lockjaw because they're reliving these past life memories from when human beings were clams, okay? Right. Yeah, and so if you think about the, the – okay, so Scientology really comes from Dianetics, okay? Now, Dianetics was around Hubbard's first uh, big idea about how to deal with these um, thetans. Right. But, but then he got in trouble for essentially claiming, uh, practicing uh, medicine without right. a license. Those so it was 48, 1948 was Dianetics, and then Scientology was 1950. So he right. rebranded 
Right. So basically he said, no, I'm not practicing medicine without a license. What I'm doing is, guess what? I'm forming a religion. It's called Scientology, and now you can't touch me, basically. But now if you think back to the book covers of Dianetics, they're very famous for featuring a volcano on the cover, if you recall. Yes, I do. Okay, but now you might think that that volcano is erupting, but it's not. It's exploding, and there's a difference. Uh, it's not a natural phenomena that a volcano was erupting. What that was showing you was the volcano that Xenu was bombing. And so just the image is supposed to trigger in you a past life regression memory of when you were this alien being being bombed inside of a volcano by Xenu. And that actually is not just the book covers. There's uh, some of their advertisements on TV have that same Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah absolutely. Right. Yeah. In fact, I have a book cover um, called Dianetics, The Evolution of a Science. And in that book cover, it shows the Xenu's henchmen basically loading boxes into a spacecraft. And those boxes contain the aliens. Wow. And then I have one titled Scientology, a slant, um, a new slant on life. And the only thing on the cover is a dropping bomb. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how many self-help books uh, feature a dropping bomb on the cover. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, the, and then uh, another version of Scientology and New Slant on Life feature what you would think is Jesus on the cross. Uh, but the quotation on the cover says, man is being crucified by ignorance of himself. And so wow, all these right. uh, Scientology book covers, and if you just kind of look around the web for them, they're all very uh, unique, uh, bizarre, and interesting. And that's the point of them. It's supposed to be like a subliminal message to trigger certain memories in you that then would have you recognize that there's something wrong with you and you would end up finding Scientology and go through their uh, alleged cure. Now, of course, L. Ron Hubbard's son, he claimed... <laughs> that Scientology, the way he put it, is that Scientology is a satanic ritual just carried over a, a long period of time. Right. That's literally what he said. Okay. Right. He said a lot more than that. He said his dad used to fondle Crowley's writings, that his dad was into heavy drug use, black magic, oh, yeah. that, oh, just all kinds of crazy off-the-wall stuff. And he was there at the very beginning. So he was there from 50 to like 58 before he and his dad fell out. He had to change his name. Yeah, so, Ron, uh, Ron Wolf, right? Wolf, yeah, Ron DeWolf yeah. and all this stuff. And so they couldn't publish things back then, but so he had to kind of put his stuff out on Penthouse and things like that. And he was persecuted forever. Actually, I had a guest from Scientology, Jerry Armstrong, who was in there with Hubbard and knew Hubbard, and he is still being chased by Scientology to this day. Oh, yeah. And they took my interview with him and put it in a court case. Um, so I actually got mentioned in a court case against Jerry Armstrong. Wow. And you can listen to that. People are interested in that interview. He's really one of the early people, in my opinion, much more important than Romini or some of these other people because he was there with Hubbard on the boat and really had firsthand knowledge. He was very high up in the hierarchy there. Sorry. So, yeah. Well, one of this, the is, this is just an example of how when you are reading a book by me, even though it's supposed to just be fun time movie reviews, I, I'm also getting into a lot of the serious background as to why we should be paying attention even to sci-fi movies that are just supposed to be uh, 
you go and buy your popcorn and have fun for two hours watching it and you're done. Well, the, but there's a lot behind it and a lot of real life stuff behind it. Right. Agreed. So yeah. then the Nation of Islam, their cosmology fitch, features a scientist, a scientist named Yaqub. And it's claimed he was born in Mecca six and a half thousand years ago. And he's referred to as a quote unquote big head scientist. So I don't know if that ties into the whole gray thing, uh, gray alien thing, but he was said to have had a, a big head. <laughs> and uh, the Nation of Islam's founder, Wallace uh, Farad Muhammad, he talked about how um, this, this uh, Yaqub, how this scientist built what they call uh, either a mother plane or a mother wheel. And I remember hearing an interview my friend did with a member of the Nation of Islam who said, basically, if you watch the movie Independence Day, that's a pretty good idea of what they're talking about, like a gigantic uh, flying craft, right? Right. And so that that's at, in the background and at the heart of even something like the Nation of Islam. So right, but didn't like, they have like a Genesis story at the island of Patmos where these evil scientists made white people, isn't there? Yeah. Something? Yeah, exactly. But that's all part of it. Is this right. part of the this, alien right, stuff? Right, right. This the, this scientist Yakub was involved in all of that. Gotcha. And that's kind of what Malcolm X was moving away from before he got shot. Was he was very much a member, and then was kind of like suspect of. Uh, I think he the veil dropped about uh, Muhammad or Elijah Muhammad. Is that what his name was the founder? Yeah, Elijah uh, Farad Muhammad. Where part of my Malcolm X issue is that once he went to Mecca, he looked around and he realized, well, wait a minute, Islam isn't just about black people. <laughs> okay. There's all there's Middle Easterners, there's whites, there's all kinds of Muslims. So how does this work out that we're some, some special sect of Islam, that's the black Muslims, that just didn't work out in the end. Right. Malcolm Little, AKA Malcolm X and then the FBI. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, so that's fascinating. I really didn't know that they had a UFO cosmology, the uh, Nation of Islam. Interesting. Yeah. In fact, uh, let's see. And the Nation of Islam also states that the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel describes a mother plane or, or great wheel. Okay. And they're obviously talking about uh, Ezekiel's description of the wheels within wheels uh, accompanied by the cherubim. And here's something Louis Barakan said. White people call them unidentified flying objects, UFOs. Ezekiel in the Old Testament saw a wheel that looked like a cloud by day, but a pillar of fire by night. Incidentally, that's just totally confused. He's confusing parts of the Exodus with Ezekiel, but okay. Uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said that wheel was built on the island of Nippon, which is now called Japan, by some of the original scientists. It took $15 billion in gold at that time to build it. It is made of the toughest steel. America does not yet know the composition of the steel used to make an instrument like it. It is a circular plane, and the Bible says that it never makes uh, turns. And now he's kind of hearkening back to Ezekiel chapters 1 or 10. Because of its circular nature, it can stop and travel in all directions at speeds of thousands of miles an hour. He said there were uh, he said there were fifteen hundred small wheels 
in this mother wheel, which is a half mile by half mile. The mother wheel is like a small human built planet. So yeah, I mean, that is that the, the, the background cosmology. It's another space opera, basically. Nation right. It's yeah. amazing. And there's, there he is still walking around Louis Farrakhan and speeches are based upon this uh, yeah. cosmo cosmology, strange cosmology. Fascinating. I didn't know that. Probably why there's a lot of people getting in and out of the Nation of Islam. It seems like they don't have, uh, the people don't hold on to it for that period, very long period of time. But maybe that's well, it's kind of like Scientology, where you get into it because you think, okay, I'm having some emotional or psychological problems, and these guys claim that they have the therapy that can fix me. Okay, I mean, I could understand that. And then the further up the levels you go, you, you end up finding out that you're stuck in this sci-fi space opera, and it's all about um, exercising... Um, alien entities that have attached themselves to you. And a lot of people go, okay, no, see, that's just not what I'm in here for. <laughs> well, the nation, the nation of Islam also, okay, they do a lot of great uh, work in the black communities. And so people want to get involved and help out. And it's all this um, beneficial stuff. And right, they have like bakeries and kind of uh, self sustainable sustainable businesses and things like that. Right. Right. And I mean, um, a lot of uh, social justice stuff, a lot of community organizing, and then they end up finding out, wait a minute, uh, <laughs> you think that the, at least the white people or whoever came about by these genetic experiments all the time, and there's a UFO and like, no, I'm not, I'm not down for that, you know? So that's what happens with these groups. The further you go in, you either uh, are, fully on board or you end up coming to your senses and thinking this is not what i got in this for right right i think elijah muhammad had like a bunch of illegitimate children he was definitely uh in the vein of a cult leader in my opinion much like hubbard i would say yeah in fact uh, one thing that ron hubbard jr mentioned is that he found out he is a survivor of an abortion attempt by his own dad, L. Ron Hubbard. In other words, when L. Ron Hubbard, when her, his wife was pregnant with him, L. Ron Hubbard himself personally attempted to uh, cause, to abort him. Right, like it was some kind yeah. of like a, like a literal, like, uh, what do you call it? Like a wire hanger or something crazy. Just craziness. Yeah. yeah. Hubbard was, yeah. L. Ron Hubbard, not well in this head. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, it's just amazing that these these people get away with these cosmologies and they're not really exposed, not as much. I don't know why El, I don't know why Farrakhan has any legitimacy in the black community. I mean, I guess he has some, but at a certain point, I mean, it's definitely not Christianity. It's not some form of Baptist or anything like that. It's odd, anyway. But again, part of it is because you can overlook uh, someone's moral or logical failings if you see that they're doing good things in your community, right? So, I mean, hopefully at some point you'd have enough integrity to drop the whole thing, but it's kind of difficult to get away from when you're in a, when you're not in the best of cities or neighborhoods and someone's helping you and you don't want to rock that boat, you know, it's kind of, it's pretty sad, but that's just the reality of life on the ground. 
Well, that's my understanding of some of the Scientology splinter groups or whatever the the subgroups like Narconon or some of these other things. They don't have they don't hit you with the heavy Scientology internal doctrines. They just say, "Oh yeah, we're here to help. We want to get you out of away from psychiatrists and get off of psych meds and blah blah blah." And then later on, it's like, "Oh, by the way, we want you to start taking some of these classes and tell you about this." And that's yeah. So some people get out of Scientology that way anyway. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Yodorowsky's Din? So what's interesting here, <laughs> it's a movie review book, and the first movie I review is not actually a movie. <laughs> it is actually a documentary about a movie that was never made, and uh, it's very f famous for never having been made, but always being something everybody actually wants to see but will likely never happen. So uh, <laughs> this was... A 2013 documentary titled Jadodowski's Dune by Frank Povich. And it pertains to a proposed adaptation of the 1965 novel by Frank Herbert, right? The Dune right. novels. Uh, now, a movie did end up being made from the novel, the 1984 version by David Lynch. Uh, because Jodorowsky's never got made. So a few decades later, Lynch was able to do it. But so this documentary is all about uh, Jodorowsky telling the story about his ideas for the movie and how his preparations for the movie. I mean, he had cast people. He had people working on design. Basically, it was virtually ready to go. The only thing left to do was turn on the cameras, but it just never happened, right? Right. And he had like a, a really... Uh, solid kind of artistic cast. You had people like Dan O'Bannon, like uh, he was a special effects. You had Geiger or Jagir, whatever, however you want to pronounce it, H.R. Geiger. So you had all these really, few in the future would be very well-known kind of uh, technical uh, people in the background. But yeah, never, nobody, I forgot what the whole story was. Nobody, uh, he didn't get financing or something like that. Well, yeah, I'll read you a little quote about that in a second. But okay. what's what's important about O'Bannon and Giger is that they ended up becoming very famous for their work on Alien, Ridley Scott's Alien, right? Right later, right. So they were they right. they actually left that project and went right to Alien, if I remember correctly. Right. And uh, what's interesting is that O'Bannon's wife, he's passed away, but O'Bannon's wife claims that he wrote his own version of a Necronomicon. Huh. And I, I emailed I emailed her once asking about that. Like, oh, I don't know if you still have it. Would you mind handing it over? Are you going to publish it? What's going on? But, you know, I never heard back. But that's uh, kind of interesting because of the, the kind of circles he traveled in. And, of course, Giger, um, if you could open a window into an alternate universe where full-blown technocratic um, technocratic transhumanism has actually occurred, that would be H.R. Giger's artwork right there. I mean, uh, again, a perfect combination of, guess what, high-tech evolution and the occult. Right. So true. Right? There he, has a, he has like a B666 painting. He's got all kinds of stuff. And he's definitely was, I think he was rumored to be an OTO member. Uh, in Switzerland. So I think he had definitely the the occult background, but all kinds of, I mean, he had all kinds of mirrors and all, all of the 
accoutrement of an occultist. Yeah, if you remember, years ago I sent you a photo of one of his uh, home studies, and he has a illustration of Crowley right yes. there on the wall. And then, like you said, he ended up featuring Crowley in a couple of his paintings. Yeah, and I think he had a Lieber Rash or Lieber LF or one of these kind of other occult-inspired uh, paintings. So yeah, so he was definitely definitely in that. Yeah, run. absolutely. In fact, there's a. Um, it's not quite a painting. It's more like an. Uh, it's more like a sculpture that looks to be metal, and part of it's painted. And uh, I believe it's called "Emblem for a Secret Society." Yes, and it's yeah, it's two hands making. I'm gonna. <laughs> they're coming after you. Really. You know they are. I said something wrong online. <laughs> the election was stolen. The election was stolen. <laughs> um, so the. Artwork features two hands making what Jay Z, the the rapper, would nowadays call the the Rockaware uh, symbol, right? Where it looks like a triangle. You're making a pyramid with your hands, basically, and that is actually an OTO hand gesture. There's just no question about it. Yes. So it's yeah, it's all Crowley's, yeah, all yeah, everything's all there. wrapped up in everything else, man. When it comes to this stuff. And Yonorowski has Crowley, has a Crowley, you know, something. I include that in Children of the Beast. Like, he had all of Crowley's Equinox on his bookshelf. And uh, he knows about Crowley and a blood drinker, a self-admitted blood drinker, too. But, I mean, one of the reasons I decided to review a documentary about a movie that was never made <laughs> is that Jodorowsky is just very, very open about how, for him, this was uh, like a mystical experience, an alchemical type of thing it's very very quote unquote spiritual and um, one thing i i thought to note is that in chedorowski's uh, movie el topo it's uh, uh really it's a western movie i mean western like cowboys but very mystical and alchemical so for example, the movie begins with him riding his horse across the desert sands uh, with his son um, on the back of a, the horse with him. But his son is completely naked, except for a hat. And then they get off the horse and he hands his son his little toy and says, Today you are seven years old. Now you are a man. Bury your first toy and your mother's picture. So, I mean, instantly you know that there's something there that's um, alchemical like he's supposed to make this transition and lose his former self and uh, and come into sort of the enlightenment of his new persona and then part of the movie's uh el topo part of the movie's premise is that the jodorowsky character is supposed to travel around fighting all the master gunfighters and killing them one by one until he himself becomes the gunfighter and once he achieves this, he becomes a cross-dressing drag queen guru. <laughs> I mean, wow, wait a minute, what just happened here, <laughs> right? Uh, and then he's like literally sitting in a cave meditating, uh, done up like a drag queen. Like, wait a minute, what just happened? I thought I was watching a Western. Uh, but then he goes on to reject that persona as well, by the way. And if you recall, in his movie, 
um, in, in the Holy Mountain. Holy Mountain and Holy Mountain. Uh, sorry if I'm going to spoil it for you, but you've had decades to watch it. Uh, <laughs> at the very end of the movie, it's absolutely alchemical. Uh, there's no question about it. At the end of the movie, you see the camera pan away, and it's showing that it's a set. And he's basically saying, "Why are you wasting your time watching this movie? You know, get out there and." Live your spiritual life in essence. He's like, well, his character just, in yeah. Holy Mountain, his name is the alchemist. He was known as the alchemist, right? So yeah. it's all full of alchemy and coming, joining of opposites and all kinds of stuff like that. And so uh, Jodorowsky makes all kinds of really interesting statements. So, for example, if the movie ever came to be, he was going to have his own real life son, Paul, play the part of the, the warrior, right? The, the prince warrior. Paul yeah, in in um in El Topo, his son is playing that part. So he again, he wanted his son to play a part in this movie. And you're right, Paul is the name of the character in Dune. So he says this um, that he said to his son, "You will keep in mind that Jarosky's uh, his first language is not English, so some of it is just slightly broken, right?" Uh, you will make Paul, but you need to prepare as a warrior. So he says, I prepared my son to do the role exactly as Duke Leto prepared his son, right, in the story. I find a teacher for him. I have a very strong person. Uh, we started, uh, when we started, he was 12. Then I trained him in karate, karate jiu-jitsu, Japanese style, a combination of karate, judo, aikido, Itemi Jiu-Jitsu, six hours a day, seven days a week for two years. Now, I exercise five days a week, okay? And let me tell you, six hours a day, seven days a week is tremendous amount of physical work. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he says, and all the people say to me, but what did you, um, but what you did, but why you are trying to change the mind of a child to make a superior person, I say, no, I was only awakening the creativity. I opened his mind. That's what I was doing. I don't know if I changed his life. Now I'm thinking why I did that. Sacrifice my son. Okay, so just the way he speaks is mystical and alchemical, where he's seeing this transition of a 12-year-old being thrown into... Uh, something that's supposed to change his body to also being an awakening of creativity and a sacrifice, right? Because he's right. no longer going to be the little boy he was. It's really fascinating. And then he talks about the design for the spaceships. Um, every spaceship was a being, ship with soul, like beings. Okay, it's just really interesting how he just, his whole worldview is like that. Yes, yeah, he and he put his own imprint on Herbert's book. So he kind of changed everything. I think at the end he wanted to have it rain and things like that, which is not. Well, in yeah, let me uh, I'll read you that right now. Oh. Man, his statement is. <laughs> oh, boy, his statement about that. OK, this is what he says about that. Um, let me go back just a little. When Paul gets killed, he doesn't die because the Messiah is all about the humanity can, okay, the Messiah is all about the humanity can get enlightened. In the end, his mind is the mind of every person. He is a plural being. I am the others. The others are me. And then if the whole humanity get enlightened, the earth changed. 
the planet of sand start to grow plants, animals, be like a paradise. Dune is a messiah of the planets because is a planet with consciousness, with the same consciousness of Paul. And the planet go to the universe, as in traveling through it, to illuminate the other planets. And here's when he talks about the change. I changed the end of the book, evidently. In the book, it's a continuation. The planet never changed. Is not awake with a con cosmic consciousness. Is not a messiah, the planet. I did that. It's different. It was my dune. When you make a picture, it must not respect the novel. Now get this. It's like you get married, no? You go to your wife, white. The woman is white. You take the woman. If you respect the woman, you will never have child. You need to open the costume and to rape the bride. And then you will have your picture. I was raping Frank Herbert, raping like this, but with love, with love. And then, and then I came with that. It was such a beautiful object. Like, oh man, I yeah. feel like saying, uh, speak for yourself, buddy. Yeah, no, I mean, it's but really it was, weird. And all the drawings too are super occult. There's all kinds of X's and weird insignia and drawings through these proposed, uh, you know, figures in the in the in the story. So, like, even the drawings of what wasn't made have have interesting occult references in them. Did you? So we, did, yeah, let's mention that. Okay, so the thing is, he drew basically scene by scene the entire movie. Okay, so there are a couple of books that contain the, the artwork. So you, you could literally watch, in, a, in essence, going frame by frame. And so you can see all his ideas laid out on paper. Right. I mean, yeah, he, he had a different view. His vision did not seem to be in line with the book. Like he, his imagery to me was much different than what the imagery in the book. Would you agree with that? Have you read the book? I haven't. That's good. And guess what? He hadn't either. Okay, well, that makes sense. No, okay. and it doesn't matter to him because his point is that he was going to take this story and make it himself. As the, That's why he talked about that he raped him because to him it just was um, a non-issue. His point was to get a va vague idea of what the story was about and then make his, his own thing out of it, right? Gotcha. So it wasn't like um, I'm going to really make a story that's as close to the novel as possible. It just that it didn't matter to him. But that just wasn't an issue. Um, but let me read you another interesting thing. He says, is, come on. you have to be like a poet. Your movie must be just as you think of it and just as you want it. Do not take comments to change this or that from this person or the other. No, the movie has to be just like I dreamed it. The picture needs to be exactly as I dreamed the picture. It's a dream. Um, don't change my dream. The system, this is actually interesting. The system makes us slaves without dignity, without depth, with a devil in our pocket. This incredible money are in our pocket. This money, this s word this nothing this paper who have nothing inside movies have heart 
have mind, have power, have ambition. I wanted to do something like that. Yeah, he definitely had that real kind of mystical look, outlook, and approach to that whole project. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you ever seen his? He made his own tarot cards. Are you are you aware of that? Like the, in his household concept is what psychomagic or psychomagic? Yeah, that sounds familiar. I haven't looked at that for a while, but that definitely sounds yeah. familiar. But he's there flipping cards. He does a lot of. Uh, no, I wouldn't say it's like Marina Abramovich, but a lot of kind of live live art type stuff, you know, in front of crowds. So, yeah, so um, the only different, yeah. So, performance art. What's that? Performance art. Performance art. Thank you. Much better. But the difference is, Jodorowsky actually has artistic abilities, whereas so. <laughs> most so. performance artists like Abramovich. Uh, they actually have no real artistic ability, so they try to make up for it by making spectacles of themselves. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Definitely agree with that. So another note on Jodorowsky, another quote here. What is the goal of life? It's to create yourself a soul. For me, movies are an art more than an industry. And then he says, I wanted to make a film that would give people who took LSD at the time, the hallucination that you get with the drug, but without hallucinating. I did not want LSD to be taken. I wanted to fabricate the drug's effect, right? So that, that's kind of his mindset for the uh, cinematography and an artistic look of the movie is to be like a hallucination without having to hallucinate. Makes sense. I mean, it has that feeling when you when you watch the, you know, you look at those. Have you ever seen the picture of Yodorowsky with Donald Camel and Kenneth Anger, 1971? It's an interesting, just like a, a I moment. I think so. Yeah, no, it's interesting because they were at some kind of art showing in London. But there he is with the guy who's a self-admitted warlock who follows Crowley and a guy who literally sat on Crowley's knee, Camel did, and was in uh, Anger's books. I mean, Anger's movie. It was... Uh, was he in? He was in Lucifer Rising, yeah. Oh, yes. The infamous Lucifer Rising. Let's right. see. I'm trying to find my Yodorowsky stuff. Let's see. Where's the page? There's Yodorowsky. I'm trying to find this quote. But he had, I think he had David Carradine, John Carradine's son, lined up to play Duke Leto for this show, too. So that was kind of interesting because Carradine was supposedly an OTO member in... Uh, in Hollywood. Here's what Yodorowsky said about blood. I know the taste of blood. I've eaten blood, human blood. By the time I decided to drink it, the blood had coagulated. I put my hand in the glass, scooped out the red gelatin and devoured it. At first it made me sick, nauseous, but almost immediately I found, I felt an exquisite pleasure. It was the finest food my mouth had ever been fed. Delicate, velvety, delicious. The next morning I woke up with the smoothest complexion. Wow. And that's in Anarchy and Alchemy, the films of Alejandro Jodorowsky. You know, that's really interesting because Kim Kardashian has been known to get blood facials. Right. And that's why, because they said it rejuvenates the skin. And if you take this all the way back to a princess named Elizabeth, Elizabeth Bathory, uh, she is known as the actual real-life motivation be, be, be behind Dracula because um, 
Count Dracul, Count Dracula, you know, he, he, yeah, he was a mass murderer, but he didn't actually drink blood. Where Bathory, so the story goes, she struck one of her maids and some of her blood got on her own skin and she perceived that her skin looked younger after that. So then she took to bathing in human blood. Yeah, and she killed hundreds of people. I mean, yeah. I think that there were hundreds. It's kind of like Gilles de Rye, like something in that same era. And she's still heralded as like a really ghoulish monster. And But yeah, uh, Yodorowsky, I don't know if you know this, but he officiated at Marilyn Manson's wedding. So and he was dressed as the alchemist. And Yodorowsky, really his imagery influenced um, Kardashian's husband. What's his name? Oh, boy. West, yeah. Kanye also... West. Uh, Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones was supposed to be in this movie as well. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, and you know that he was, well, he played a major role in um, one of Kenneth Anger's film, right? Lucifer Rising. And then another interesting one I found is that, uh, here's what I wrote in the book, uh, that Jarowski relates that when he approached Salvador Dali, the late Spanish surrealist artist about playing the part of the emperor of the galaxy. It turns out, quote, he is so afraid to be killed. He have a robot and the robot will act. Dali not only wanted to become the highest paid actor, but wanted a robot to play his part and then wanted the sculpture for my museum, uh, which really in terms of transhumanism, it's really fascinating that Dali said he, wants to have a robot play his part for him. <laughs> oh, oh, and incidentally, um, Jodorowsky notes, quote, Dali, in our conversation, showed me a catalog of Giger. So it was, uh, it was Dali that introduced Jodorowsky to Giger's work. Oh, interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. And so later on, Jodorowsky notes, quote, I say to Giger, I need you as you are. You are searching in the deepest darkness of my soul, and that is good. This is your art. Your art is, for me, is an ill art, marvelous, ill art, necessary for the um, Baron Horkonem, right, one of the characters. Uh, right. So anyhow, yeah. Harkonnen is kind of the adversary Harkonnen, to the Atreides, sorry, yeah. But then it, yeah. Well, I don't want to ruin the whole story, but yeah. very important figure in the book, which uh, is about aliens, evolution. Yeah, <laughs> it's a theme. If you read that book, it's all, all your themes are in there. Yep, high tech evolution and the occult. There it is. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if so much of the occult, but definitely high tech and evolution. The whole, I mean, there's one whole kind of clique within Dune called the Bene Gesserit who manipulate evolution. Basically, they are very much involved in putting bloodlines together. And well, uh, but, but then you have this whole um, subplot about this almost like a secret society of witches, right? Right. That's them, the Bene Gesserit. That's them. Okay, yeah, so they're part of like one of these big kind of groups that are all kind right. of conflicting. So there's um, there's the occult aspect, and then the spice having the effect on some of them, or of causing paranormal abilities, right? Like telekinesis right. and all this stuff. Yeah. Longer age, age-defying stuff. Yeah. Yep. So that kind of a drugs. It's there. Do you want to so cover life force a little bit? Or I was going to say, uh, okay. So life force. Let me just say one thing. Okay. 
I can't recommend the movie because uh, there's the first fourth maybe uh, features nudity and that's just going to be too tempting for a lot of people. So it's funny how I find that when I review some of these movies, there's times where I'm definitely uh, looking away from the screen and just listening. <laughs> gotcha. So be Hollywood, right? But now speaking of O'Bannon, well, guess what? The movie Life Force directed by Toby Hopper or Hooper, 1985, um, has uh, it's accredited to having been written by Colin Wilson and Dan O'Bannon. Interesting. And uh, Don Jacoby with Michael Armstrong and Olaf Pooley being uncredited. So there's O'Bannon again because, of course, he was very well-known in the sci-fi scene. And Colin Wilson, well, we know he went on to write books about the occult and Crowley and all kinds of... Just incredible uh, output. That guy wrote a ton yeah. of books. Really interesting. And so in this case, um, the movie begins with a, you know, this is interesting because it's 1985 and they're featuring a space shuttle, which by the, what then was like pretty new, new technology. And so there's a space shuttle crew and they come up upon this enormous uh, craft that is alien. And so they enter it uh, to maneuver it and now the the space shuttle craft is called the Churchill, which is not surprising because the movie is based out of England. And um, the first spacecraft to be, it's said to be the first spacecraft equipped with a Nerva engine, which made me think of Minerva, the Roman goddess, right? So, I mean, instantly you're getting some weird stuff happening. Um, they enter this craft and encounter that it's populated by beings that apparently passed away a long time ago because their bodies are very desiccated. It's like they're just shriveled up mummy-like, you know. Yeah. And so the these those beings look like gigantic bats. I mean, gigantic meaning our size, like mm -hmm. giant compared to the usual size of bats. They're like a bat-like species of aliens. But then the more they go into what I would call the unholy of unholies of the craft, then they find a room wherein there are all these crystal structures that contain bodies of what look just like human beings. And so this is where we encounter what the, what the script just has as space girl. Okay, and Space Girl is the one that ends up naked for a fourth of the movie, um, but she's the feature, <laughs> the feature character. So, long story short, they end up back on Earth, and it turns out that, kind of to give the movie away again, you've had since 1985 to watch it. Okay, so don't blame me if I blow it for you, but, <laughs> but. Right. Um, they end up back on Earth, and it turns out that these um, these aliens really are bat-like creatures. It's just that they also have the capability of seeing into your mind. And the, the issue with these crystalline structures is that while the aliens outside of these structures were dead, the ones inside were like in a cryogenic-type sleep, right? But even then, they can look into your mind, so they look into the mind of... Um, Colonel Kane, okay, a very uh, notable name because obviously Kane and Abel. So, 
Colonel Colin Kane. And basically what one of them did is to figure out that in his mind, he had this picture of a, like an ideal woman of his dreams, right? So the alien manifested that for him and it made him like crazy attracted to her. So that's part of the, the scheme. It's just like in the Stephen King novel, It, with um, this being that's really undescribable, but it can look into your mind and discern your deepest fear and manifest itself to you as that which you fear most, where in this case, it's the opposite. They're gonna appear to you as the thing you desire the most. Interesting. So it attracts you to them, right? And so, as it turns out, these are basically a form of alien vampires. Uh, but it's not hemoglobic vampire vampirism where they're drinking blood. It's uh, energy, right? Like uh, people call them psychic vampires, right. where they're, they're sucking your life force. That's where the movie title comes from. They're sucking your life force. And so, there's a lot of really interesting aspects of this in terms of um, discussions in the movie about what is death, what does it mean to, to be basically siphoning life force from another being to feed yourself. And um, Some of these posters for this uh, movie is something else, like an eyeball looking over oh, the yeah. earth. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very uh, sort of symbolic and telling as well. Well, I got to wrap this up. Is there anything you'd like to add? Anything I missed? Where can people find this book? And uh, you have a new website, right? No, it's not a new website. It's just an updated one. So you have an updated website. Yeah. But they could buy this book at their Hollywood Aliens and UFOs second showing. Right. So just if they go to my website, I have a listing of all my books. And of course, it's always better to buy from independent authors. But if you must, you can also go to places like Amazon. Gotcha. And it's truefreethinker.com, right? Yes, www.truefreethinker. Yes. Again, it's Ken and me, Hollywood Aliens and UFOs, second showing. Thanks so much for your time, Ken. Thanks for having me. All right, take care.